0: Tonight, on Locked On Anaheim Ducks, some big news in the American Hockey League, and Trevor Zegers is dominating the World Junior Championships. All of this on Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. How's it going, everyone? It is Wednesday night slash very early Thursday morning. Hello, everyone. I'm your humble host, Jason J.D. Hernandez who's been covering hockey for the better part of a decade, and who's been working in minor league hockey for just as long. And I'm going to be talking at length about the American Hockey League and plans to come back. But first, a reminder that you can hear this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you hear your podcasts. Make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe if you have not already. And also, also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at StimpyJD. So a lot of news to get to, and I was going to make this an entire half hour about Trevor Zegras, who has been completely blowing the roof off of Edmonton's building, but we are not going to do that for the whole episode because there was some major, major news on the AHL front. I'm going to not waste any time here. I've been working in the American Hockey League for five years. I've enjoyed every minute of of AHL action. It is a lot of fun. So this bit of news is important to me on a personal level. So let's start with the statement from the American Hockey League itself. Here's what it said. This is a memo. Quote, the American Hockey League Board of Governors has approved the structural framework for an AHL season that will begin on February 5th, 2021. Details are still being worked out, but this step allows our teams and their National Hockey League partners to better to better determine their plans for the coming season. We look forward to dropping the puck on February 5th, End quote. And that is coming from executive, rather, AHL president and CEO Scott Housen. So once again, February 5th is the target date for the American Hockey League to begin. But there are a ton of caveats as far as that goes. And let's start with the obvious. Uh, where is everyone going to play? Well, for one thing, we don't know as far as, let's see, Calgary. Their farm teams in Stockton. Hmm. Uh, Bakersfield. Their NHL team is in Edmonton. Hmm. Oh, the big one, Vancouver. Their farm team is in Utica, New York. The complete other side of the country. So this begs the obvious question, how are call-ups going to work if they happen? We don't know if that's gonna happen. We just don't know. A lot of moving parts. So I'm gonna go over what Patrick Williams said, and by the way, you can follow him at P Williams NHL. He covers the American Hockey League at length. And here's some of what he had to say. So this quote is coming from Kevin Shaveldeoff. Sorry, Shaveldeoff, the Jets GM. He said, quote, adaptability in the NHL is important. Adaptability in the AHL is paramount. End quote. Something else that Patrick mentioned. There's been a lot of talk of potential dual affiliations or at the very least player loans. As far as dual affiliations, we have seen that on the ECHL level. Well, why did we see that? I'm going to go back on a personal note here. 2012, the Ontario Reign of the ECHL, they had a dual affiliation with the Winnipeg Jets and the Ontario Reign because there wasn't 30 ECHL teams. So two NHL teams had to share an ECHL team. That makes some sense, right? So why is this important? There is a bit of talk about dual affiliations Because there's rumors that there might be one or two teams that could be opting out. But that's just a rumor. Something else he mentioned. Based on the math, the number of games would be somewhere in the high 30s or low 40s because they do not want the season to completely drag out. That makes sense. So this is all from today and it was very busy on the AHL front. And it was a full house on the Board of Governors call. For schedule length, one possibility is that teams could play at a different number of games depending on their locations, financial situations, etc. Something I want to point out, and Patrick Williams pointed out that this is not uncharted territory for the league. For the past five seasons, the Pacific Division has consistently played less than 76 games. In fact, they played 68 games. I'm going to go back to 2015, where the five California teams played 68 games. The two Texas teams played 76 games. Yes, there was one season in the AHL where all the teams in the same division, the same division, didn't play the same number of games, if you can believe that. That was a thing for one year. Obviously, that hasn't been the case the past three or four seasons, where the Pacific Division has played 68 games. It also helps that there's been some division realignment. Colorado entered the fray three years ago. You have Henderson coming in. Tucson became a team four years ago. And then you had some teams shift to another division. Now we have Texas moving that way. So there's that. There was also some more details on the Board of Governors meeting that was in the afternoon. And this had a lot of information. So there's a lot of a lot to figure out. Another very common theme that happened: Player uncertainty about everything about player safety. Yeah, the players have questions. How is player safety going to work? How is testing going to work? Are the players going to get vaccinated eventually? The season would start in February. It could go until May you've got to think at some point players are going to get vaccinated in that time. And one more big, big piece of information that is very important. January 4th will be the opt-out date for teams to opt in or opt out. Now, he was told that as of now, as of now, no team has officially ruled out playing this season. That doesn't mean that we're going to have teams opt out. Look at the ECHL. About a dozen teams opted out, including the entire North Division. Newfoundland isn't playing. Kalamazoo is not playing. All the New England teams are not playing. So that's very possible. There will be a minimum number of games, and teams would be able to play more than the minimum, but they cannot play less than the minimum. And also, there's going to be a backloaded schedule. So it'll start off very slow and then very heavy backload. The, there's an obvious reason for that. It's going to start slowly as teams adjust to the new circumstances. But the obvious reason is there's going to be fewer games in February and March. That way, there's a possibility that more fans or fans in general will be able to watch games in person in April and May. And you've got to thank the American Hockey League wants those April and May dates to have fans. And especially when you get to the playoffs, you want those fans to come in as much as possible. One other big, big thing. Playing out of practice facilities is very likely for some teams. Syracuse owner Howard Dolgan had a conference call. He said that there was about 100 people in the meeting and the decision to play will be made with Tampa. So there are some teams that haven't decided. I mean, they're optimistic about playing. But he also confirms that teams are going to play more than than the minimum number of games. As far as what that minimum number is, 24 games is the minimum amount of games that a team shall play. 24. Yeah. I would think they could make that pretty easily. Only 24 games. Folks, that's that's not much. 12 home, 12 away, that's really not much. Just from my perspective. Because you got to think they could have eight games in March, eight games in February, eight games in May. This can be done. Something else that was pointed out. And this is a quote from the Syracuse GM, Dalgan, quote, We don't anticipate revenue coming in. We're going in anticipating we're not going to have any revenue. It will be how much we're prepared to lose, but there is a limit for everybody. End quote. That's going to be a big factor in if a team opts in or opts out. Something else he said. I don't care if we win or lose this season. It's about getting players to play and improving toward 2021-22. This is not a typical viewpoint, but this is something that We have to keep in mind, this is going to operate at a loss. Fans are not going to come in in February. I guarantee you, almost every AHL team will not have fans in February. Maybe March, maybe April, likely May. That's what I'm saying. Oh, also, there's that little thing about, you know, testing, COVID testing, vaccines. There has to be some consistency in that. There has to be some consistency as far as, oh, I don't know, keeping players out of public areas, making sure that they don't contract COVID. That's kind of important, right? There's also been some discussions about who pays for what between the AHL clubs and their respective NHL parent clubs. Also, don't forget, some teams do operate independently. You have to keep that in mind. Teams like the Chicago Wolves, they operate independently. And also something else that was said numerous times in this conference call, we're nowhere near where vaccination levels would need to be. Not even close. So the most important thing is to try to get through this healthy, stay above water. I mean, there's no shot of certain owners going to a game this season, but some one parting shot. He said, we lose more money by playing than not playing. That's a big quote. We lose more money by playing than not playing. So you kind of have to look after yourselves a little bit if you're an owner. But at the same time, there's the potential for CHL players coming to the AHL if one of those leagues don't play. And also think about the fact that you have to pay for testing. You have to pay for sanitizing everything. There's a lot of stuff you have to pay for. If money is the big issue then playing out of a practice facility is very likely for some teams. And there's one in particular, the Ontario Reign. They're very likely to play out of Toyota Sports Center in El Segundo. Staples Center is a possibility, but as far as Staples Center go, they have three tenants. They have the LA Kings, the LA Clippers, and your world champion, Los Angeles Lakers. The Ducks only have one tenant, themselves. The Gulls could play at the Ponda. That could work out for the best because then you'd have the better TV coverage at that arena and you wouldn't have to pay so much rent at San Diego. Or they could play out of Great Park Ice in Irvine. That is also a possibility for the San Diego Gulls. So a lot to consider as far as TV deals go. Remember, the Gulls do have a TV deal. With Fox 5. So, for those of you Ducks fans in the San Diego area or the South Orange County area that can pick that channel up, you can see your goals play on Fox 5, or maybe they'll play some of those games on Fox Sports West. So, or sorry, Fox Sports Prime Ticket. Prime Ticket. The Kings are Fox Sports West. And this is a long, long segment. But one other thing, he talked about divisional alignments as far as the Pacific goes. Right now, it is Bakersfield, Colorado, Henderson, Ontario, San Diego, San Jose, Stockton, Tucson. An eight-team division could happen. Hmm. Notice that one team has been left out of that, Texas. They were also left out on the Central Division clubs because, oh yeah, that franchise is very, very far from everything else. So they're all highly subject to change and two teams are at least going to play out of their practice, practice facilities, but the cost and logistics are easier for teams that are under certain financial pressures and also how far are teams willing to travel. They need to think about that as well and they also have to think about publicity for the following season as well. So something very important to talk about. And all of this is coming from Patrick Williams and Tony Androkaitis, who, um, by the way, if you don't follow his work, I recommend checking him out. Uh, he's going to have a new thing called Inside AHL Hockey. And I highly advise that you guys check that out. Uh, these guys and everyone that works in the minor leagues, they wear many hats. They do some fantastic work. They work very hard to provide hockey to some of those lesser areas. I shouldn't say lesser areas. San Diego is a big market. But maybe not the major, major markets like L.A., New York, Chicago. No, those smaller markets like Tucson, like Ontario, like San Diego, like Bakersfield. You got to keep those markets in mind. And I know that first segment took up a lot of time. But so much news has come out of the American Hockey League today. And I will talk more about this in the coming weeks. But right now, we got to head to the first intermission. Only the first intermission. And I've been talking for about 15 minutes because there is so much news. So I'll talk very briefly about Built Go, the best energy gel in the market. It is packed with collagen. It is packed with plenty of vitamins, only 90 calories. And it gives you... That same energy, that five hour energy does, but without the crash. So go to builtgo.com and enter promo code LOCKED to get 20% off your next order of Built Go. And they come in three fantastic flavors. My favorite one, chocolate mint. Definitely try out Built Go. Let's go. And we're going to head into the first intermission. Stay locked in. Welcome back to Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez, and this podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag, the exclusive online sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you want to check out the podcast, check out Locked On Bets. But definitely check out BetOnline.ag, where they have the latest lines on every sport, including the NBA, Oh, and hockey, by the way. Yeah, they have lines for hockey. In fact, they have the futures line up for all the divisions. So if you want to check that out, go to betonline.ag. And if you enter promo code Locked On, you will get a 50% bonus towards your first deposit. Once again, that is betonline.ag, the exclusive online sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. All right. So, welcome to the Locked On Zegris Appreciation Hour, or rather segments. We're now at the World Juniors part of the show. And while I do want to talk about Zegris the entire time, um, we have some games to talk about. So, I'll reserve it for at least one segment. So, this is the Trevor Zegris Appreciation segment. I will try not to take an hour on this whole thing. First, Let's go back to last year. Last year's World Junior Championships, where Zegris was only 18 years old. He was expected to be a third liner, maybe a fourth liner. In fact, when he started his first game, he was on that third line, third line forward. And he was on the second power play unit. So he wasn't even the big star or even close to it on last year's World Junior Championships. And what, what happened? He shocked everybody. He surprised everyone by leading the team in scoring with nine points. But those were all assists. No, no. Those were all primary assists. So if you go all the way back to last year, December of 2019, I have a couple of podcasts about Trevor Zegras last year. So check that out. I will post up a link on on the thread, I guess, to last year's Trevor Zegras appreciation So, this is going to sound like a broken record if you were listening last year. Yeah, it's been that long, folks. So, nine points, nine assists. This year, it started off with a pretty big bang. And we'll start with that first game where Trevor Zegras pretty much dominated puck possession. He was controlling the puck, doing very well as far as passing goes. In fact, that first warm-up game, he had two assists. On the warm-up game, one of those passes was a filthy behind-the-back pass. And it, it was amazing. It was filthy. I mean, how did Zgris, How does zegris see everyone behind him or around him? And you gotta laugh and chuckle a little bit. Because zegris plays like he has eyes in the back of his head. It seems like he knows... Where his other four teammates are at all times. And he doesn't even have to look. He can do behind the back pass. A spin around pass. And manage to find the tape of his teammates. It happens every time. And I don't know how that happens. But it does. So two points. Rather two assists on that first game. Then we got to the real games. Yeah. Russia looked pretty good for most of that game. That took place on Christmas Day. In fact, Zegers was on that first line with Alex Turcott and Arthur Kaliev, both LA Kings prospects. So you have some kings and ducks playing together, cats and dogs living together. Oh my goodness. Oh, by the way, there was three other prospects, Sam Colangelo, Henry Theron, Jackson Lacombe, but we're not going to talk about that. Not on this segment, because this is the Trevor Zegers appreciation segment. Plus, because we might talk a little bit more about him later on. So it was a sloppy, sloppy start for the Americans in that first period. But one thing that I really loved was Trevor Zegres having a lot of fun with Askarov, who is the goalie for Russia on that particular game. There was a little bit of pushing going on in the first period. You know, Zegres was kind of trying to irritate some of the Russian players. So what does Zegris do? He does what he's supposed to do. There's a player behind the net. He has the puck. Zygris is supposed to go around to try to catch up to him. That is what you're supposed to do as a forward. He's doing his job. But it was fun to see Askarov put the screen on Zegris. Trevor just kind of crashed into the goalie a little bit. And a little bit of Sean Avery action. Askarov trying to put his love in Zegras' face. They both have a laugh about it later on. I know at the time, Zegras was a little bit irritated, but it was a fun, lighthearted moment. And then after that, Zegras said, all right, screw this. I'm going to score a goal. So we scored a goal. They were within a goal. Great. Then Russia decided to go and win the game. So that first game, not a good one for the U.S. They're already 0-1. But Zegris at least had a goal. He had an assist, so he had a pretty decent start. Not bad, right? Then we go to the second game. By the way, that second game, it was a good one for the States. How good was it? Well, it was a complete domination. It was just, oh my God, this kid is so good. So, I mean, i I was trying to pick up my jaws after that game. Ziegress had a couple of amazing goals. That second goal that he made on the game against Austria. Oh my gosh. He kind of did a little bit of a flip. Yeah, it looked like a Patrick Kane type of shot, but he just kind of did like a little wrist snap flip, whatever that was, and went top cheese on that one. Yeah, at that point it was for nothing. I felt so bad for the Austrian goalie. He was trying everything he could to save that shot. But that was to absolutely no avail. So Trevor Zegers got two goals. Then he had a couple of assists. And a couple of very filthy assists on that game. So that was a good one for him. He now has five points in two games. Alright. Looking pretty good. So what does Zegers do on the following game against the Czech Republic? He goes off completely. Something I want to point out that I said on Twitter because I watched this game carefully. And I'm going to quote myself. Quote, Trevor Zegers looking great in the neutral zone so far today. However, the Czechs are matching the Americans shot for shot, hit for hit. And I thought it was going to be a grind and it started off like that. And then Trevor Zegers said, F this crap. I'm going to go all in on this. So it was no score after 20 minutes. It was sloppy. Passing sucked. Then it was Lucas Perrick, who was finally solved on a crash in that goal. 1-0. Then Trevor Zegris, A, I don't want to say a snipe shot, but he was left wide open and there was a lot to dissect. So I'm going to dissect it for you. So Trevor Zegres exits the zone flawlessly. He enters the offensive zone Pretty much perfectly. And this is on a 4 on 4 by the way. So this was even strength. Zegris enters the zone with only one guy flanking him. Then as he gets into the zone. He draws not 1, not 2, not 3. But all 4 defenders. Trevor Zgris held the puck for about 10 seconds. As he came into the zone. All 4 defenders collapsed on him. You don't do that. You don't do that unless you're trying to defend against one of the premier youth players. And Zegras is that guy. He made it look easy, but that was only because he had four guys on him. That's what it was. He did so much work to get himself open on the right side. He did all the work driving the puck into the zone by entering perfectly, by drawing everyone around him. Then he got the pass out to Henry Thrun. And that was such a filthy give and go. He gave it to Henry Thrun. And Thrun gave it right back to Trevor Zegers on the right side. And it was a wide open shot, folks. He had plenty of daylight. He didn't miss that one. I mean, he did kind of miss a little bit because it could have been a missile. But it was kind of like a medium speed shot. Goes in. Lot of net. Made it at the time. Two to nothing. Then it became worse after that. <laughs> yeah, Ziegris had a good game. He was working his freaking magic. He scored another goal times two to make it four nothing. And then oh my gosh, Matt Boldy had a between the legs goal. That was Ziegress's third apple of the game. So Ziegris had two goals, three assists, a five point night on the route let me repeat that a five-point night that second goal from zegris was from the right side again and that was a great pass but oh my gosh he freaking sniped it that shot probably went at least 80 85 miles an hour because he just ripped it past the goalie at the time it made it for nothing so that was a dominating performance by Trevor Zegras. 5 points. That is 10, 10 points in 3 games. Yeah, you heard that right, 3 games, 10 points. That's an average, an average of 3.3 points per game. Those are some disgusting numbers, folks. Can you imagine if he even gets half that in the NHL? Hmm, half of that rate is about 1.5 points per game. Just imagine if you will. What if Trevor Zegras averages a point and a half a game? Over 80 games? That's 120 points. If you can get 120 points out of your star prospect, oh, you are more than thrilled with that. I want to talk more about Zegras, and we're going to talk more about Zegras on the other side. Welcome back to Locked on Zegras. This is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, we're going to talk about Zgris. Not for half an hour, but for long enough. One other big stat that I want to get into as far as Zgris goes, and that is control as to who is driving the transition from the defensive zone to the offensive zone. And Ziegris really is up there as far as O zone entry. And I personally want to thank Jason Paul. Great, great name, by the way. Jason Paul he's part of wave intel if you want to check out his work check out waveintel.org this is a freaking fantastic site and for a stats nerd like me this is like nirvana oh my gosh i love seeing these stats so definitely check it out waveintel.org so there's kind of a little cool chart below where it talks about o zone entry versus defensive zone exit And Zgris does drive transition from the neutral zone, mostly, to the offensive zone. What tends to happen is Zgris will try to get it out of the defensive zone a couple of times. But in general, what will happen is you'll have more players like Jake Sanderson, like Drew Hellison, like Henry Thrun. They will drive the defensive zone exit and they will pass it to a transitional plane, Trevor Zegers, who likes to play on that right-handed side. And what has happened a few times already in this tournament is Zegers will collect the puck in the neutral zone and just drive it in himself. But he'll do it with such speed and precision that he will have a great success rate. And so far, he has a 78% success rate as far as exits and entries. That's pretty good. That's much better than quite a few players. Like, oh, I don't know, Quentin Byfield. I know I shouldn't be bashing Quentin Byfield. He is the second overall pick. Uh, his success rate is only 63%. Quentin Byfield isn't the kind of guy that drives play as far as transition. Quentin Byfield parks himself in front of the net. Still does a great job there. But then you have Zegras, who's just above average. Once again, at 78%. Average is about 75%. So 78 is pretty good. But his offensive zone, yeah, it's quite good. He nearly leads the U.S. team as far as total entries and success rate. The best one at that, Matthew Beniers. Matthew Beniers is a 95%, but that guy just loves having control of the puck. Another great forward on that U.S. team, Alex Turcott, He's 78% as well. So you look at these microstats as far as U.S., and I know what you're going to say. It's a small sample size. So what? It's a small sample size. This is still way beyond comparison because you have to look at his body of work from this year and last year. Trevor Zegris has 19 total points in World Juniors. He's above players like Mike Madano, for crying out loud. When you compare Zgris to Mike Madano, you're in fantastic company. And I know we're going to see more of those stats on tomorrow's game. Or if you're hearing this on Monday morning later tonight. And I'm actually going to get to that right now. So I do want to talk briefly about some of the other prospects on Team USA. That are frankly doing a very good job. Because they've won 2 out of 3 games. Save for that one game against Russia. So just very briefly... Sam Colangelo, he's had a couple of points. He's done pretty well in this World Junior so far. Jackson Lacombe, he does a great job of collecting pucks in the defensive zone and really just trying to irritate the opponents. Henry Thrun, this guy has very good skating ability. I liked watching him in person at the SoCal Clash last year. He's every bit as good as his play at Harvard. And yes, he is somewhat of an offensive-minded, but he's really good on both ends. He's a very, very solid defensive player. And the main reason why he's on that first line D with Cam York, who was a Philadelphia Flyers prospect. So, going back to these important games. Tomorrow, or later today, Team USA has a big, big game. And why is this important? Well, I'll tell you. Very late. Very late Wednesday night. I actually stayed to watch this one. This game went into overtime. And it was was, was a fun game to watch. The Russians, they looked very good. The Swedes, they looked very good. So what happened? Russia won in overtime on a power play goal. So Russia got two points. They currently lead the group with eight points. Sweden has seven points. So it's all going to come down to USA versus Sweden tomorrow night at six o'clock Pacific time. That can be seen on NHL Network. As far as the other side, Canada, Finland, I mean, you don't want to face those teams. Slovakia is locked at number four, Germany's locked at number three. Hmm. If you're the U.S., would you rather face Slovakia or Germany? Considering that Germany doesn't have all their players right now, you definitely want to face Germany. So here's what's at stake. If the U.S.A. wins in regulation against Sweden, then the U.S. wins the group and they play Slovakia. Then Russia would play Germany and Sweden would play the loser of the Canada-Finland game which takes place at 3 o'clock. That's also very important. The winner of that game wins the group. The loser would have to face one of those three teams. So that's going to be a big game between Canada and Finland. And you can see a super prospect, Jamie Drysdale, who was the Ducks' first round pick, or one of the Ducks' first round picks this year, the number six overall pick. And by the way, I feel bad that I have not talked about Jamie Drysdale And I could talk about him for a whole segment as well. But we'll save that for when Canada advances. And we'll talk more in depth about World Juniors. As if I haven't done that already. So here's what's at stake. If U.S. wins in regulation, they play Slovakia. Russia plays Germany. Sweden is third. If the USA wins in overtime, they would only get two points. Then Russia would win the group. Russia would play Slovakia. U.S. would play Germany. Sweden is still third. They play Canada-Finland. Why is that? If US wins in overtime, Russia would have 8 points. USA would have 8 points. Sweden would have 8 points. Russia beat both. USA and Sweden. So they would win the group. USA lost to Russia, but beat Sweden. So they'd be second. Sweden will have lost To both the U.S. and Russia. So Sweden would be third. So there's that kind of tiebreaker there. If USA loses. Well no matter what. If USA loses. Sweden would win the group. Russia would be second. Russia would play Germany. And USA would be third. And they'd face the loser of Canada and Finland. Look. If you're USA. You don't want to face Canada or Finland. In that quarterfinal round. You want to put this in your own hands. You want to face either Slovakia or Germany. Slovakia has a pretty good defense, so that game could be more of a grind. Germany, they're decimated. The only reason they are third is because they completely walloped their opponents. Yeah, they beat Switzerland pretty bad. So Germany has that bit of an advantage. But USA wants to face Slovakia or Germany. They can take them. So that's what's at stake for the big game that is going to be Thursday night on NHL Network. Be sure to tune into that. I will be live tweeting that game. So make sure to check it out. And maybe before, you can check out this podcast. And also, there will be another podcast tomorrow afternoon because we're going to have our year respective where we're going to look back at the best moments of this podcast for the year 2020 and what we have to look forward to in 2021. So be sure to stay tuned for that tomorrow and make your make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. That way you don't miss anything. So, okay, do it right now. Hit the subscribe button right now. I'll wait. Have you done it yet? If you haven't hit subscribe yet, go ahead and do it now. Because there will be another show, New Year's Eve, once again, where we'll have a kind of retrospective on this past year. And believe it or not, we will have a new show on New Year's Day. The reason for that, it's going to be a day off from the World's Juniors, but there will be a new show on New Year's Day reviewing all the action that took place on Thursday and previewing the quarterfinals of the World Junior Championships, USA has advanced, Canada has advanced, Sweden has advanced. That's six prospects among those three teams. So we will talk more about the Ducks' prospects among those three teams much more in depth on New Year's Day. So stay tuned for that. Before I go, I want to thank all of you for listening. And I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit. I know the first episode of the day, the sound wasn't great. Um, I've mentioned this on the Twitter that there was some technical issues over the past couple of days that has since been resolved, as you can probably tell by the quality of this podcast, by my voice, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it sounds better now. Everything's fixed. Everything's good. So we had some technical problems with Megaphone earlier, with the microphone with the sound, like everything was not working properly, but now we're back to normal and we'll be back to our normal schedule. So once again, we will have a retrospective on New Year's Eve. We'll have a new show on New Year's Day previewing the quarterfinals. Make sure to stay tuned for that. And also make sure to follow us on Twitter at LO underscore ducks or follow my personal Twitter at Stimpy JD. So once again, thank you all for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you so much for Locked on Anaheim Ducks. I'm Jason JD Hernandez saying have a fantastic rest of the day. Continue practicing social distancing. Be kind to one another, and ducks fly together.